two turn can't hear what these suckers say. I'm out here doing everything you suckers can't. Two million from some bands trying to bust the bank. The way I'm coming, it ain't fair. Welcome, welcome everybody to another absolutely mind altering episode of Break Some Dishes. I'm John Strasner, your co-host, and I am here today with my hot mess co-host, Verda Alexander. Verda, say hi so that we know that you're there. Hi, everyone. That's right. I had to call myself hot mess this morning. It's a little early for me, so I have an excuse. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, she wanted to be a hot mess today, so we're letting her be a hot mess. Um, but that's sometimes, you know what? Sometimes that's just how you feel. You feel like a hot mess. So we're going to, we're going to let you be that today. Um, speaking of not hot messes, we have a great guest today. We're always super excited about our guests. And I think what makes uh, today's guest really special is this is somebody from within our industry. So we all can really appreciate what she's doing. Uh, we're here today with Annie Bevan. And I just said to Annie a couple minutes ago that clearly you're squeezing 28 hours out of a 24-hour day because currently Annie is executive director of Mindful Materials. And we're going to have a great conversation today with Annie talking about that resource. But she's also CEO and founder of SMS Collaborative, and she's global head of sustainability for Superior Essex. So Annie, welcome to Break Some Dishes, man. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. It's You're exciting ready to-, to be here with the hot mess and the salty activist. Can't wait to <laughs> dive in today. <laughs> you ready to break some stuff? Man. Let's do it. Always down. <laughs> I always wish I could do in those sledgehammer things, you know, just like oh, hit the crap out of those rooms, you know. So yeah. let's do it. We should let's do, do live, okay. live sound effects. I think we really <laughs> yeah. do need to do that. We, we need to put our safety goggles on because safety yeah. first. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yep. yeah, so Annie, thanks for joining us today. Um, really, we wanted to, you know, it's funny, Verda and I have talked on quite a few episodes. Actually, I think probably every episode that we have recorded has gone into materials at some point or another. And what a slippery slope that conversation is and what a challenge it is for designers to make the right decision. And so Mindful Materials has been out there for a while and um, it really is a tremendous resource. I don't know how many people use it, how many people know about it. And so we're hoping to raise some awareness here and teach some folks about what it's all about. So, Yeah. So uh, just to answer your question there, 14,000 users uh, within the tool globally. So we, we do have a bit of a following, but right. certainly not as many as it could be, knowing how many designers there are on a global basis. We want to Bring everyone into the fold. After uh, the pandemic, we're at about, uh, we're roughly 77,000 designers throughout the United States. A lot of work to do there. And once this podcast hits and everybody listens to it, you'll probably get at least another 10,000. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's do it. (laughs) If only. (laughs) If only. So, uh, but but Mindful Materials, it's something that's really exciting because we we finally have a a means to talk about this because it's been a lot of things to a lot of people for a couple of years. We are a materials expert collaboration hub. So there's been this movement of materials driven by green building standards out there with no really authority of what does good look like and how do we shrink this? What's the easy button? How do we all know what to think about? What's HPD versus declare label versus DPD? There's just too much information out there. So we're bringing the industry experts together to create a hub 
that people can come to to really identify those resources that are available to them to really navigate this space. So we're one, a collaboration hub. We're also creating a common framework and a common language. When we talk about a material, what what does good look like when it comes to material? Well, the AI Materials Pledge really created something I think is really powerful in bucketing materials. We want to see products that are starting to reduce their impacts across climate health, human health, ecosystem health, social health and equity in the circular economy. So that's a common framework that we can then all agree upon to say, we want products that are addressing these things. We're going to select those over others. We're going to use those over others. And owners in all of our RFPs are going to require products that are addressing holistic sustainability. And then finally, how do we make that easier is through tools and digital data. So we have a database that actually is aligning and finding products and identifying those products that are reducing those impacts across those categories. So quite a bit of a mouthful. We're working on a lot of stuff, as you uh, can tell. Hopefully nobody fell asleep in that long ass uh, message, but I, I, <laughs> it is a lot of things. And we are trying to tackle really the material space to make it the easy button as much as possible. Well, a couple of things that come to mind. I mean, first of all, I think materials is key, right? And I think that's why we keep coming back to it. If I just look around at my t- desk, you know, I've got my my plastic microphone, I've got my my ceramic coffee cup, I've got my laminate table, my task chair, and you know, if we can make these products safer, it's a trickle down or trickle up effect, however you want to call it, where it's helping the planet, it's helping the people, it's helping our environment. And so it's really the key to everything and everything and cars, our homes, our buildings, it's our materials are everywhere. It's it's everywhere you touch, feel, breathe them all the time. So yeah. And also to add to what uh, Verda just said, uh, in 2020, ASID did a a design resiliency report. Uh, We were fortunate that uh, Benjamin Moore and Cosentino supported us in this effort. And we found that um, when we surveyed designers around what were their expected changes in the way they practice, over a third said material specifications were going to be focused more on occupant health. And then again, over a third said product specifications were going to be focused on occupant health. So we're talking about over 70% response rate focused on occupant health, which is Makes materials sense with what we products. all have been going through, right? But then mm-hmm. a hyper-awareness of space and really the impact of space and what's impacting that space is the chemicals that make up the products that are within them and the manufacturing processes, the raw material extraction, the climate impact of those, the ecosystem impact of those, the social impact of those. And Verda, what I appreciated what you said is you didn't just talk about carbon. You didn't just talk about chemicals. It's it's everything. We can't pick a certain topic over another as more important because it's in fact, all important. So we're trying to make it easier to address everything at the same time. If it's toxic at the end of the line, it's toxic at the beginning and during production, and that's impacting communities around those plants and factories and the environment and all of that. So yeah, you can't separate one from the other. And that's, John and I have been finding the challenge with all of these issues is that it's multi-pronged and you have to really tackle it all together. And that's what makes it so challenging. And I hate to say a little overwhelming as well. And it's hard to know where to start. And so this tool is incredible. Yeah, And and I just also want to lay the groundwork here. 
Oh, sorry. I just, I, I want to, before I turn it over to Verda, because I know you've got some points you want to make, but this is a really, this is a real issue. And if you don't get it, environmentally impacted diseases are all over the place. And I have two daughters that both have an autoimmune disease accompanied by a very rare chronic liver condition. That's mm. very unusual with young women. They both have uh, ulcerative colitis and a, a liver condition called PSC. Mm. Two, two people in the same household. And we've been told that that's an environmental disease. Like they have come into contact with something that's made them chronically ill. And it's crazy that that can happen today with with what science can do for us. So I have the same story. I have the same story. My son and I both have a hypothyroid Hashimoto's and my doctor is convinced that it was from PVDs and flame retardants in our sofas Mm. and our carpets and pretty much everything in in our homes. So um, my mom has Hashimoto's, believe it or not. So it's, she said it's autoimmune and we need to be aware because it forms in different ways in genetically. Right. So it's, it's a, I, I feel like maybe everybody, as we're starting to become more and more aware, is starting to have these personal stories of effects of what this what this means if we don't start making different decisions with with the information that we do have, and then that science needs to continuously advance. So we are made aware to make and be able to make these decisions differently, so we don't have these continued effects that are immediate. They are affecting us now, like everybody's personal story. Here, so yeah. yeah, yeah. And so my other thought with binding materials is that. We need a new paradigm going forward. You know, this circular economy, a new economy, a a new way of thinking about business. And it's got to stop being individualistic, top down, capitalistic, colonialistic, you name it. And what's great about Mindful Materials is that it's collaborative. It's open source. It's not top down. And so designers contribute, manufacturers contribute. And I think that's what's so incredible about this platform. It's an incredible platform, but it's it's also paving the way for a new paradigm of working together to solve for what we need to solve for. Exactly. Nobody actually owns Mindful Materials. It's member-owned and or industry-owned and led. It's, it's just really unique that new you know, CEO somewhere is going to get millions off of this idea. It's actually the, it is for the industry by the industry. So it's really, that's why I was so excited to take the helm. It's like, wow, this is unique. And can you imagine if community just made change together? What could that look like? So how do we make this succeed so we can prove the path forward to your point for, yeah, for the future? Absolutely. And so I've, I've got an account and I'm looking at my mindful materials right now. I wish we could all look at it together, but unfortunately we can't. And so there's a number of tabs. You've got material ingredients, you've got environmental profile, you've got VOCs, material sourcing, social responsibility, and other information, <laughs> which is great. Other, yeah. Yeah, I, I do find still, and it's it's just the challenge that we're having is that there's so much information. At least you guys have it in one place. But mm-hmm. as a designer, we still have to go through this information and distill. And mm-hmm. for example, I'm looking at one product right now. For each product, there's different amounts of information, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Depending on what's, 
What's right. what they invested in, what what the manufacturer has to share when it of comes course. to those categories. Yeah. Right. And some of these labels, like the declare label, it costs money, mm-hmm. right? To and some it does. companies mm-hmm. don't don't have the time or the effort or the energy to to do that. And so I'm looking at one that only has an EPD and an HPD label. And that's the mm-hmm. only information that's on mindful materials. So it still seems to be a lot of work that's up to the designer to then open that EPD label and and try to go through it and figure out what is it good? Is it bad? Like how, where does it stand? Thoughts on that? Boy. Uh, yeah. Um, I guess the, the goal of this library. So to enter the library, you have to have met some sort of this baseline criteria that industry experts and materials have established as making progress when it comes to sustainability. So when designers look at mindful materials, it still is a bit of a filter of an easy button because all information has been vetted by experts. So all documents are reviewed before they come into the library for accuracy and that they, those products actually meet the baseline criteria to be able to enter the library. So if they're in mindful materials, it's actually a really good starting point because there has been a vetting process and there has been a filter applied. So there isn't going to be bad data in this library. So according to that product, that product manufacturer has invested in understanding the life cycle impact of that product and the human health impact of that product. And they're transparently disclosing that within of their, that product. So as a designer, when I'm thinking about that, it's more or less, okay, they're transparent. They understand the impact. If you are, as a designer, focused on transparency and that is something you want to reward, that's a product you might want to think about selecting. Now, where I want to see us all go is trying to start to push for optimization. So it's good enough. Great. Glad you're transparent. Glad you know Let's go one step further, guys, and start to reduce those impacts and start to fill out that reduce column or that uh, optimization column that you also see. There's going to be a transparency column and an optimization column in every single one of those buckets. What I think we need to start rewarding is those manufacturers that are taking it the step further and, and reducing those impacts. So it is up to the designer to still sort of decipher, but at the same time, it's not. It's like, what is then the application of those documents to your design philosophies. Absolutely. I I think that every design firm is going to have a different take on what's important to them, right? So you said no bad data, but what about bad, bad products? Those must, there must be some on here, even if they're transparent. So that's the case. Transparency doesn't mean better. Uh, It means they understand. So it's up to all of us to push further now. Okay, great. I'm so excited that you have an environmental product declaration. How are you reducing your carbon impact? How do you compare? What's your carbon impact comparatively to the industry average out there if it's available? Same with human health. How are you optimizing and eliminating toxic chemistry, which is one thing a declare label or living product challenge certification, cradle to cradle does do well is to get those certifications. You actually have to have eliminated some of that toxic chemistry in your products. So uh, there is a bit of an education. And what we're thinking about too, is how can we give tooltips as a part of this ex- exploration. So it's one thing to post the information, keep it an easy button when you go through the library to find it in a vetted way. But then also how can you hover over this and say, here's what an HPD means. Here's what a EPD means. And like really give some like little insights as to how to think about it when you're picking products a little bit more. But I would say we need to reward progress no matter what, even if they aren't optimizing if somebody has taken the step and they're in the library, they are moving down the path of sustainability. So let's reward progress, but also challenge them to continue to move. That's forward. a really think good that, uh, at yeah. the same time. Yeah. Do you think that there is um, a movement amongst designers that when they get on mindful materials, do they avoid 
EPDs and HPDs, do they look for those manufacturers that have put more, for example, a declare label that becomes even easier for a designer? And so does that then send a message to manufacturers that the, the easier you make it, the more your material, your product will be selected? Because you want this to be used by designers that are, are not subject matter experts as right. well. Right. This is not for just the experts. This is the easy button for everyone, which is why I mentioned the tooltips for the future. But coming from a manufacturer's perspective, I can say with experience that no matter what you do in terms of investment, sometimes and most of the time, sustainability still isn't even part of the decision-making process. Now, this is coming from a communication cable manufacturer. So it's in the IT space, a little bit further outside the design decision-making area realm, but still you could have third-party certified optimization on carbon and human health and still not be considered as a factor when it comes to the the end-all be-all when your product gets specified. So I would say before we go to is more better, I would say let's just start to include sustainability in our decision-making processes first. And that is defined by transparency and then optimization. And then we can say more is better from there. So you talked about a couple of new columns. Is that in the works for version 2.0 or 3.0, wherever you're at? Version, I don't even know. Let's call it (laughs) 2.0. It's a refresh. We're really excited about this. So come September, update. We have a a date. This is going to be released, but the Mindful Materials Library is evolving. So uh, yeah, material ingredients, environmental profile, VOCs, they kind of make sense. But I think what would make more sense is really aligning with what that common framework is that I mentioned that the IA Materials Pledge did really well in identifying that language of what we're looking for. So the new columns in the library is going to be climate, human health, ecosystem health, social health and equity in the circular economy. So all products are going to be vetted to be contributing to reducing the impact across those buckets. So then those that have committed to the AI materials pledge or maybe an ASID commitment letter that could be coming in the future or something uh, for designers, this could be uh, a powerful resource to help you find products more easily that help your firm show that you're meeting those commitments. That's going to be amazing. And I think that's exactly what we need because I have to confess, and I'm a little embarrassed about this, but so we've been trying to get up to speed with our materials and Mm -hmm. working with Mindful Materials. And we ended up hiring this lovely student from Boston. She's working remotely and she's building a database for us using the Mindful Materials information. And actually it's broken down exactly per those categories because the categories currently, it requires too much digging. And yeah. a designer, the time that one of my designers would take trying to vet a product, it's a challenge. So I'm glad, yeah. I'm really glad to hear that. And that's the goal. And we we're even thinking about the, the user experience and the user interface to make sure that this tool is in fact saving time. Because we do know that that's one of the values, one of the core values of why this Mindful Materials got started by HKS in 2014 to begin with is to save time. And we can't lose track of that or lose sight of that. But we're hoping this recategorization at least helps in alignment to what everyone's trying to think about and achieve so that it does in fact reduce time to understand that is necessary right now with the tool. Because it's you do have to kind of orient yourself with the library. Right. So we are trying to evolve it. So it's, you just go in there and you're like, oh, this makes sense. Uh, this, this product addresses climate health. Good. And yeah. as a design firm, so. we can look at it based on our prioritization, whether it's climate health or whether it's uh, human health or 
circularity social. or yeah. carbon yeah, or social or carbon. Exactly. Social. All that will be there and it be very clearly dictated and then aligned with the common language that we're now talking about with materials across all these different pledges that are out there. So start with a pledge, make a commitment, use tools to start to integrate product by product, CSI division by CSI division, and use tools like this library to more easily identify those products that meet that category. Isn't mindful materials also connected if you're working on a lead project and you're using a lead worksheet, doesn't Mindful Materials tie into that worksheet for you? That's a big time saver, no? Well, it sure is. And that is something that we need to continue to advance. What you could do right now is filter to products that meet lead requirements or well requirements or living building challenge requirements or reset requirements, which is a global standard and mainly focused in China right now, but expanding. What does that mean, filter to? Filter so to products. Actually, on the side, and Vera's looking at the, the library, but there's filter options. So if you are uh, wanting to filter to products that just contribute to lead, you're working on a lead project, you can actually filter. We want to find products that contribute to lead. Pit lead Shortens and, the list for you right away. Right pops up is those products that contribute to lead. So we did do that in some way, but the output piece is still something okay. we're, we're working on. Yeah. All right. I thought we had that output piece that would like auto-populate your lead worksheet, but that's a, that's a North Star. It's something that has been noted and mentioned a couple of times as a value add. So it's- That's your uh, moonshot right there. The moonshot. There we go. Exactly. So working on it. Uh, Speaking of moonshots, um, certifications, there's so many. Is there any- Oh, God. Is there any movement from an industry-wide perspective to try to- hone those in and maybe mm-hmm. just have one, I get, or maybe that's just, do we have yet. too many? I <laughs> think we have too many. Yeah. Um, uh, Good question. So, yeah. Mm, I don't know if we have too many, but this is coming from somebody who lives, breathes and thinks about this, like literally every moment, every day, 28 hours of 24 hours in a day uh, is when I think about this, but I know that there have been efforts to harmonize. And I know that it, the health product declaration collaborative has led a lot of efforts to bring in you know, clean production action, who creates green screen standard and ILFI with declare and living product challenges and cradle to cradle all to discuss, Hey guys, where's the overlap here? Let's make some clarity surrounding this. So there has been some pretty significant efforts on the human health side. There's also now been some advancements on the EPD side with the embodied carbon, sorry, building transparency and their, their focus on embodied carbon and an EPD standardization, which gosh knows we all needed, we all needed that in the future, but So yes, there are too many, but if you start to break it down by category, like carbon, climate, health, ecosystem, social, there really isn't. You just have to sort of be aware of what eco labels support what buckets. And that's what I think could really simplify this is just, okay, and this is kind of what I think Harvard's doing. We really care about human health, social, and carbon. How are we going to identify those leading manufacturers that are addressing those categories and start to select based on those categories? And what are the standards and certifications that we recognize to support those categories? So we've been talking in hundred parts million level discussions to designers, and that doesn't make sense. We got to bring it up like 10 levels. Let's just talk Mm -hmm. in these buckets and then acknowledge products that support those buckets. And I feel like that's stuff that people can start to understand and talk about. Like, yeah, we want to reduce the human health impact of our project. Here are the products that do that, right? That so, would that would uncomplicate it so much and make it so much yeah. more useful. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to talk chemistry or global warming potential with anyone. I mean, and I'm in this space. It's like nobody <laughs> yeah. wants to talk that. So we gotta bring it up a level to bring more into the fold so it is the easy button, is my do is you our think philosophy. That there's still materials. a stigma out there 
in the industry that, you know, if you want to work on a project and bring environmental activism and environmental awareness and social awareness into it, you have to be some kind of an environmental scientist or you've got to be a designer that has a specialty in this. Is it overwhelming? Is it intimidating for the... I think the answer is yes. And I think you guys would answer the same question. Yes, right? From every layer, it's sort of like, I have no idea where to start, but we are just trying to provide the resources and the advocacy, the awareness that, hey, there is a place to start. There's a community that we don't have to recreate the wheel here. People have already gone down this path. Join us and we'll help you just start. And that's all you need to do and then accelerate from there. The challenge that we have is, Verda, speak to your experience. You've been trying to get O plus A on this page for what seems like a while now. And it's taken a lot of work and you've been passionate about it and completely dedicated to it. Just imagine, right? If you didn't have that passion and dedication, would you have given up six months ago? What are you trying to say, John? I'm saying you're milking it, man. You're You're milking milking it. Oh my God. It's taken us so long, so much longer than I ever imagined. I thought it would be so easy. You know, you've got the red list and you've got chemicals of concern and all the, I thought, oh, this would be super easy. If we did, if we just look at toxicity, this should be super easy. Mm -hmm. And just look, Mm -hmm. even that one bucket is so complicated. And so. Why isn't it, Verda? Why? Like what has made it so hard for you? Finding the information, tracking it, knowing if it's there, not knowing if it's there, knowing which chemicals we should really be focused on. I mean, it's again, like Annie said, you, you, you've got to uh, take a step, any step. Like, mm-hmm. Let's eliminate one, one chemical of concern. But even that has been hard to, hard to pinpoint. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm wondering, Annie, if you can talk a little bit, you know, when we did our panel a couple of months ago, which I really loved doing, that was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and you had this great term, regrettable substitutions. And I think that I don't want to vilify the the chemical industry here. Mm -hmm. That's, that's an easy thing to do. And there's just more to this conversation than that. Yeah. And that's what makes this conversation so difficult to start to peel away. But tell us what a regrettable substitution is and what it means to mindful materials and how you try to cope with that. Yeah. So a regrettable substitution is a decision that ultimately is found to be negative uh, because you were trying to make a different decision of something you knew was bad to begin with. So this BPA, BPS is something with water bottles that is given all the time with this example. So there was BPA developed water bottles. It was a plastic and then it was found to be a human health issue. So everybody removed BPA, but then what they they replaced it with was BPS, which was not studied, unknown chemistry, and nobody really knows the human health impact associated with BPS. Now they're starting to find, well, is BPS actually really better when they start to do toxicological studies? Uh, So it is a concern where I really appreciate building transparencies approach when they're thinking about this, when it comes to carbon outside of toxicity, I'm going to switch the lens here a little bit, is that they aren't doing perfect science. And uh, I've worked with them across many product manufacturers to implement embodied carbon data into their system, and it's not perfect. And they would admit it's not perfect, but it is the best the industry has, and we have to start somewhere. And we are going to continue down this path and start to realize that, hey, we didn't get it right right away. And, but we can't be too afraid of bad decisions to not start. And we all just have to continue to iterate and learn as we go. 
And I think the biggest risk of all, and I've actually heard this from a lawyer from AIA, is not to be doing this now. It is more safe and risk-free to be joining the pack of making different decisions when it comes to materials than to not be choosing products with transparency and optimization information at this time, because the middle of the pack is people who are starting this process, not maybe every material, but starting. So I think that we need to, we can't wait for it to be perfect to start because it will never be perfect. We will never know enough to start these decisions. So we have to do with the best we can. And what our goal is, is to try and decipher the science to make it easier. So the best information is available with what we have right now in a library setting. You know, this makes me think when you mentioned BPA and BPS, some of these materials should really be just outright banned. They just shouldn't even exist in our manufacturing process. Um, Do you work at all with lobbying efforts or trying to get regulation? I personally don't. I have been, I'll get a little personal here, just founding like that my hours of the day should not be spent in politics because I just find it to be exhausting. <laughs> so I'm just here to try and drive energy yeah. of where where action can be act, can be made more more easily, which is I think collaborative effort and collaborative change, which is what I think we're here to talk about and here. We can actually physically control. Otherwise it's yeah. lawmakers and boy, haven't we all been continuously disappointed no matter what camp you're in of, of that of that process. So no, and that's why uh, I haven't been involved in those efforts. Today. Yeah. yeah, I think if the majority of designers stop specifying PVC or formaldehyde or whatever, then it's going to stop getting used, right? Power is in the consumer. It really, really, really is. Uh, and that's what I think we need to shout from the rooftops and break some dishes about is like, Guys, we we have only a certain amount of time to make this change together, and we need a rally. The rallying point is today, and we can't wait for science to be up up to speed to, yeah. to do this. Yeah. We need to develop like a most wanted list. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and then, wow. but to your point, Verda, if if that's the case, what's the science behind that? Mm-hmm. Why? And then, how do we amplify that rallying cry? To the right. community and who who leads that discussion? Then is it ASID? Is it Mindful Materials? Is it all of us? And yeah. go from there. My right. communication yeah. cable is mostly made out of PVC, so I do have some <laughs> things to add there that maybe we shouldn't ban PVC, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But um, yeah, things no, to talk I think about. that's right. I that's what Verda and I have been you know really talking about lately. Is you know there's a lot of sides to this mm-hmm. conversation. And, you know, science is an important factor. And a lot of times, you know, we get emotional about something and we are passionate about something and we leave science off the table and we need to include it in the discussions, even if it could possibly make that conversation more complicated and difficult to follow. Right. 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 Yep. Absolutely. We we do have to trust in science, but science will only take us so far and we can't wait for it to be perfect. We have to make decisions now and kind of go with with what we have and and it's not perfect. So good and done is better than perfect and pending. So they say, I well, I agree. (laughs) That's all we can do. So, and I, on top of selecting the right material, right. Mm -hmm. You also have to think about regardless, you're still using material. Mm-hmm. And I think another part of this conversation, which I know mindful materials cannot address, but I just wanted That's to true. emphasize the expansiveness of the dilemma. And you want to think about the longevity and how you're utilizing it and how much and can it be re- reused and and things like that within your projects. And so that's a whole nother dimension. So it's it's just utterly overwhelming. But 
Baby steps. It is. Baby it steps. is. So what is your first step? What has been your first step with somebody who's been quote milking it, as John said, like, could you give advice? Could you give advice to someone who's in your, who's in your situation? Like I hear you're creating dad base. Most people won't go there, but like, what is your baseline requirement as a firm? Like, do you have any advice to somebody who's thinking about this? Materials pledge is a great place for anyone to start, honestly. And, and I think it's, with with mindful materials, and I think with your version 2.0, it's going to make it a lot easier to specify the right materials, and that's that's a huge step. And yeah. but I do think that, like we started the conversation, it's a multi pronged dilemma, and you have to approach it from all these angles. And so you do still have to think about how much material you're specifying. What's the best choice for that application? How can you plan for end of life or reuse and mm-hmm. things like that, that all also has to be part of the conversation. So it's, you have to juggle a number of balls. You can't just focus on toxicity or one mm. piece of it. Yep. Right. Yep. That's back to what Jason McLennan told us a few months ago. It's, it's a big problem. You know, yeah. you, you got to take on all the issues and tackle it. Anna, you, you've mentioned the, the, you've mentioned the AIA uh, materials a couple of times now. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what that is sure for people who may not know. Yeah. In response to sort of a manufacturer led effort that was basically acknowledging, Hey, we received all these letters to get EPDs, HPDs many years ago. We haven't really seen that it matters. Uh, myself and Alex Miller, who are now at Mindful Materials sort of led that, that effort uh, within the manufacturing community to rally the troops. It was the first time the manufacturing community came together and said, Hey guys, we need to do something about this because we're not seeing that sustainability matters. And I feel like the response was sort of like a, Oh yeah, uh, touche. We, we need to change this. And so Lana Rarick, who's on the steering committee, sustainability director at, at ZGF Architects responded with, with a couple other members in the Portland material transparency group saying, you know what, they're, the manufacturers are really right. We need to do something about this. And AIA materials, knowledge working group, was assembled and thinking about, hey, we need to sort of continue this conversation. We need to drive more. How do we really define what we mean when we mean sustainable material? And uh, rallied a significant amount of experts when it comes to materials in the architect and design space to define it. And this letter was produced and it was produced originally in 2019 and then officially adopted as a formal AIA program in 2020 uh, by AIA. So it is supported by AIA staff. It's being driven by AIA staff. Uh, And the letter basically says, hey, uh, manufacturer, we're looking for products that start to reduce their impacts across the five buckets that we've mentioned a couple times now. And we will commit to specifying you if you start to address these things. And it's really a commitment. It's a place in the stand to start is a starting point only and a guideline for what to think about when it comes to holistic change. Uh, myself being involved in the writing of that letter, um, and then when I got the opportunity to take the helmet, Mindful Materials, and thinking, gosh, gosh, we need some to digitalize this. We need to make this easier. And Mindful Materials as a neutral place seems like a really great opportunity to, to change the library to support that. So that's how we got to September <laughs> relaunch of our 2.0. Uh, but we're really excited to continue conversations with AI to be a resource to support Materials Pledge commitments and expansion of the circles of those who are aware of it and bringing more people in the fold to know this is the starting place. Here are tools, resources, and people to help you really as a community start to bring you baby steps, one product, one project at a time to change. Um, and that will have global ramifications to collectively reduce the impact of the built environment together. And I think that's all all we can all do is mm-hmm. rally together behind the same definition to to make this change. So that letter and AIA standing behind it is 
a very big deal for this industry that I'm really excited. Yeah. Amazing. I think yeah, we all need to sign that pledge. Yeah. Absolutely. And thank you for, well, for providing this incredible tool. I can't wait to see the relaunch in September. I think it's yeah. going to be a huge help and really, really make mindful materials super useful. It's an incredible really excited tool. about it too. Excited, yeah. excited to, to share it with you all and excited to continue to advance materials work together. Yeah. So, so thanks yeah, for having and me on. Shout today. out to Alex, who's been uh, a, a superstar here helping ASID as we develop or we chart our course through this conversation. So Alex has been great. So we love her. We're probably not going to give her back to you. Well, so you know. she has to come back. She's our director of collaborative <laughs> impact. So that's what her job is. So I'm so glad to hear that she's supporting. Great. She's she's actually been involved in writing almost every commitment letter out there in the market. So I'm glad to hear that she's working with she's oh, wow. supporting you too. So she is. Yeah, she has a lot of good sure. feedback. So. Well, let us know how we can help you on support yeah. you. Yeah. Well, this is yeah. this opportunity to talk on this podcast. Can't wait to to share this conversation with everyone. And I always love hanging with you oh, guys. Yeah. And you know, Verda, you don't look like a hot mess really to me. And and John, you are salty as always. So, but I appreciate appreciate your time, Annie. Thank you yeah. so much. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Annie. Take it All easy. Right. Take it easy. Bye.